power, plants, piano, in pursuit of the real. After appreciating Roland Barthes' Death of the Author, I wondered how this can apply to other vocations, including that of the artist. The Death of the Artist installation involved a wall painted blue, an aqua reminiscent of the color chosen as the painted bottom of a pool or the backdrop in a butterfly enclosure. Eight palms lined up in their shipped pots, spaced with seven chrysanthemums, sided by a log bench covered in epoxy. An electric Casio piano facing the audience of plants, two mirrors in each corner reflecting sunlit shapes. The sunlight streamed through a cutout in the roof of the building made by the artists inhabiting the space prior to the current installation. The piano was left unplugged in, was left plugged in and on, and was played by whoever wished to. Instead of a pianist or a painter or a performer, the viewers became the witness to the death of the artist. While the elements in the room were chosen somewhat autobiographically, the awareness such identity really did not matter was a focus. As the exhibition was situated in the graduate exhibition event for the college in Los Angeles, a city noted for a wave of artists working in institutional critique or social practice, the installation made evident of conceptual art requiring some kind of mental game within the viewer or participant of the art. Mind art. Note. Play the video with the sound on to receive the That's Too Real conversation on this webpage, rachelwolf.com slash power dash plants dash piano. In that it's best to hear for oneself, another reference of note is H.C. Anderson's The Emperor Has No Clothes story. What does artist mean seems to have become an eye-rolling question or something that must be treated with deep suspicion. Perhaps no one will agree on what it means today, and so we will learn the limits of difference and wonder about the detriments and virtues of consensus. There was a time the artist meant becoming incredibly skilled in creating something deemed valuable to either the ruling class, the people, or both. Thanks to modern and postmodern theory, the ability to think about the structure of life based on a multitude of awarenesses became available to anyone who wanted to find out. The demand for degrees of master and PhD became a badge of eligibility to teach or attain certain jobs. The dandy uprising of the alternative or outsider artist burgeoned as a reaction to various dynamics within institutional models. As that dynamic could be a cookie all its own, this one will skip ahead to the identifiable social phenomena, artist as an identifiable myth. The story of where the artist came from and how that is tied to their practice, as if in a perpetual state of never becoming a professional, is not only assumed to be the way for an artist to carve out a career, but if a person making art goes against it, they may be cast aside from the canon or the whole show. This identity focus in art was taken up both by the pro and anti-institutional positions. And so, as ideas themselves may not be inherently good or bad, meaning fruitful or destructive, the rise of confusion and emotional posturing has become clearly more prevalent. In this perspective, art and myth of artists became both advertising and war. This was widely written about the use of artists as a tool of propaganda, and instead of ballistic material, the art object becomes a transitory object of the artist's identity 
weaving a web of alliances quite literally around the globe. The notion anything can be art widened the field of art as to make anyone questioning the blatant obtuseness of artist productions subject to being labeled in a sociologically negative way. And the label today mirrors that of the deployment of brand. The layers of meaning within a brand are somewhat something almost everyone is familiar with. Audi, Hermes, Target, Marlboro. So what happens post-branding? We are living in that now. Perhaps a nostalgic return to the labels formerly known as bad, such as rural, dull, unsophisticated. These ideological apparatus are increasingly apparent thanks to social media, the internet, as people found ways to weaponize media. The media itself is blamed understandably as what information can come to pass before someone's brain is not an area without bias. But the information on the internet is out there. The key has often been within the questions. So the blame cannot really be passed onto a media entity or this or that being evil or bad. The responsibility for knowing is within the individual. And that's a tough task. In this way, there are no bad questions. Moving along as images are finally being embraced as the fictions they are, the documentary and referent qualities still exist. Humans are being forced to live with cognitive dissonance and realize the idea anyone with a mobile device may be an unprofessional videographer, photographer, podcaster, editor, reporter, or journalist. And that really creates a different quality to culture and life than when there were professionals. However, in the collapsing space between abject emotional experiences to public viewership creates clouds of confusion, with people quick to tribally align. We have in our time a great fruit for understanding and clarity. Instead of the obtuseness of art and the silencing nature of shh, you shall not speak unless degreed scenario, as written by Tom Wolfe in The Painted Word, we have means of voicing and creating harmony or discord at our individual will. As The Painted Word is a bit of a complicated version of the children's story, The Emperor's New Clothes by Hans Christian Andersen, why not actually say the emperor has no clothes on? Be daring and actually say it. Roland Barthes' Death of the Author sent forth the notion the author is not the matter in the book. The reader takes from the signs on the page and imagines scenes and recreates a story that may or may not be related to the author's intention. The focus on the nuances and temporality may lose the attention of some readers, yet clarifies an important aspect into the way the idea of artist's history and identity is taken up by society. If the artist becomes a signifier of class or virtue, sucking the air out from the postmodernist ideals of agency, authorship, and freedom, the slide into social justice authorship is not a long one. The other aspect of postmodern ideals is the denial of any objective truth or reality and the deployment of technology and the science as avenues for power. The logos of postmodernism becomes a rhetoric unto itself, a closed loop or solipsism, a monocle with which to see the world simultaneously promising rewards, work or income, food and housing, and for some, while disregarding and disposing of the bodies and identities used. In this way, artists and their works become stones at which galleries and societies throw at each other. 
and the generative energy art loses to nihilism. It's really not terribly melancholic as it might seem. The difference is in the mind, and the monocle becomes multidimensional glasses, and we come back to embracing multitudes of voices and discerning that which generates thought, care, joy, play, commitment, fruitful work, and meaningful life. Art doesn't have to be social justice or propaganda, but it would help if we opened up the minds of people to allow them access to the controversial perspectives in history that led to the creation of where we are today, free from blame and accusation. Go and find out. This requires a bit of faith and belief in each other's ability to become literate and behave as mature adults, and I feel we have the time, and it's a great time now.